War Memorial Gym in San Francisco hasn't been too kind to the Zags in the past, and USF is extra motivated after starting conference play 0-2. Could an upset be brewing on Thursday evening? You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today is January 4th. As you are listening to this, we are one day away from Gonzaga's first road game of the WCC season, and they are heading to San Francisco, California to take on the Dons at War Memorial Gym. It's going to be this is going to be a tough one quite honestly. I think that San Francisco, obviously an NCAA tournament team last year, first time since 1998 making the big dance, a lot of kind of enthusiasm and optimism coming into the season even after this program lost Jamari Bouye, who is now playing in the G League. They lost Yuhen Masalski, who was one of the best bigs in the WCC over the last few years. They, of course, lost their head coach, Todd Golden, who took a shiny new job in the SEC playing for Florida. Uh, but this team has still got some danger to them. They've still got a lot of talented players. So we're going to kind of take a look at what this matchup might look like, what, who the Dons have been so far this season. We'll take a look at my five keys to victory, and we're going to close out the show looking at the latest bracketology reports on both the men's and the women's side, where Joe Lenardi has the Zags starting their NCAA tournament run this year. First, though, let's talk about the Dons. This game, 8 p.m. on ESPN2 on Thursday. It's going to be a late one, so get your coffee ready uh, on Thursday. Uh, again, USF has always been a thorn in Gonzaga's side, especially on the road. Uh, there was a nice stretch of time where I think Gonzaga lost four or five consecutive games at War Memorial Stadium. That was a while ago. Hasn't been as big of a challenge for them lately, although last year uh, I think they were up 10 at halftime, if I'm not mistaken, or at least up by a handful of points uh, before Gonzaga went on a nice run in the second half. Uh, the Dons have had kind of an interesting season. They're 11 and 6 on the year. Uh, Ken Palm has them just outside the top 100. So it's pretty unusual to see a six loss WCC team that high in the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, shows a testament to how difficult the schedule has been so far for USF and just kind of shows a good testament to the kind of rising levels of the WCC. Uh, Ken Palm, again, 103rd offensively. They are 109th defensively. They are 115th. A very balanced team does both things pretty well. Uh, Tempo-wise, they are 64th, another team in the WCC that may attempt to run with the Zags. We'll talk about that more in the second segment and what it might mean for Gonzaga uh, in this contest. The biggest storyline for USF this year is their the biggest game they've played was against at the time, number 21 ranked Arizona State Sun Devils and USF absolutely massacred them. They were up by 45 points at one point in the second half of this contest, ended up winning by just 37 points, completely derailed Arizona State's season. I believe they were on a 10-game winning streak before they got boat raced here by the Dons. Uh, that was a really, really nice win for San Francisco. Has done a lot to elevate where they are in the Ken Palm rankings. Ken Palm uses the margin of victory significantly uh, in their analytics. So, of course, when you can beat a team as good as Arizona State by as many points as 37, it's going to help you show up well 
in those Ken Palm standings. Unfortunately for San Francisco, they have not performed up to par since then. And in fact, they actually have begun conference play 0-2, which is very surprising, very unexpected for a team that is expected to be uh, number three, maybe number four in the conference, depending on how confident you are in Santa Clara and or BYU. Uh, Of course, the Dons lost one of those games to Santa Clara. It was a 67-64 game on the road against a very good Santa Clara team. I think Santa Clara is the third best team in the WCC. Uh, They have not lost a beat despite losing Jalen Williams and PJ Pipes uh, and Yusuf Vrankic all from last year's roster. All those guys are gone. They bring in a transfer from Illinois and Brandon Podzimski, and they have been absolute money so far this year, regardless for San Francisco. Maybe Santa Clara is not that bad of a loss, but I'll tell you what, losing to San Diego, that's a tough loss. San Diego has not looked good this year. Steve Lavin, it's a multi-year deal for Steve Lavin to get the Toreros back on track. They have been one of the worst teams in the WCC, and for them, nice win for Lavin and the Toreros, but a really tough loss for the Dons to stomach. Uh, they also have losses to UT Arlington, Davidson, and one of Utah State, and also the only remaining undefeated team in all of college basketball, the Lobos of New Mexico. That is your losses there for San Francisco. A couple good wins, of course, the most notable one being the Arizona State Sun Devils. But at this point, six losses. Yeah, they're they're higher ranked in Ken Palm than you would maybe expect a six-loss WCC team. But at the end of the day, if you have six losses in the WCC, you're not making the NCAA tournament. Uh, the streak uh, of making the – they went 25 years without making the NCAA tournament before making it last year. Uh, they're starting another streak, unfortunately, of not making the tournament. Unless, of course, they find a way to win the WCC tournament and secure that automatic qualifying bid. Seems a little unlikely, but hey, you know what? Stranger things have happened. Uh, taking a look more at the Dons kind of under the hood, they are a high-scoring but very inefficient team. They're averaging just under 75 points per game. That's very good uh, for college basketball. You you don't see a whole lot of teams that are up over that uh, outside of really high, like teams like Gonzaga and Arizona, of course, are up in that range, but not a lot of other teams up there. But for USF, 75 points per game, but they're shooting less than 44% from the field. They're shooting less than or just over 33% from deep. Not a particularly efficient scoring team from two or from three. They take like 29 three-pointers a game. So even though they're only making 33% of them, they're still knocking down about nine per game. Uh, part of that is just the the guard play of Khalil Shabazz, Tyrell Roberts. Both those guys are very good, two of three players for the Dons who are averaging over 12 points per game. Khalil Shabazz, we remember him. He was a big part of what San Francisco did last year, took a vicious elbow from Andrew Nemhard during a game last year as well. That was kind of a, a big storyline at the time for USF. Uh, the backcourt duo of Bouye and Khalil Shabazz was, was outstanding. Shabazz, 15.5 points, six rebounds, three and a half assists, and 2.2 steals per game. If you we're doing a WCC fantasy college basketball league, uh, which if you are, just let me know because I would love to be inter- I would love to be somehow involved in a fantasy basketball league about the WCC. If you were, Khalil Shabazz would be a top player to pick because he does a little bit of everything. But again, talking about USF as a whole, he's a good scorer. He's a good rebounder, good passer but he's not an efficient scorer. 42% from the field, only 32% from deep. The guy you really got to watch out for from beyond the arc is Tyrell Roberts, Washington State transfer. He's averaging 14 points per game, and he's shooting 38% from beyond the arc. Meanwhile, their most notable big man replacement uh, for Yuhen Masowski, that's Zane Meeks. Zane Meeks is averaging 12 points and seven rebounds per game. He's only playing 23 minutes, so 
12 and 7 from Meeks and just 23 minutes of action. That is highly efficient on a team that doesn't have a lot of efficiency. He's kind of been a big part of what they have been able to do. Uh, the Really, the big issue for USF in a lot of ways has been their depth. They have a handful of guys who are good, who who score a lot of points. But really, outside of that, it gets pretty dicey. Uh, Tony Rosak, Josh Coonan, expected to be bigger contributors for this team, just have been wildly inconsistent. Julian Richwain's playing big minutes off the bench. His field goal percentage, not three-point percentage, Field goal percentage on the year is 23.9%. When your depth is not contributing, when your depth is not scoring, taking inefficient shots, it really, really curtails your ability to kind of hang in games, especially against good teams. And for for USF, I see a situation here where their starters can keep them pretty competitive, can keep them in a game, even against a team like Gonzaga. But if they have to go to their depth too much, they're going to really struggle to, to maintain a lead or at least even chip away at a lead that Gonzaga might build up. And that's kind of what I want to talk about in the second segment. The Zags are going to have their hand full with a motivated team in USF. They don't want to go 0-3 in WCC play. They don't want to lose at home uh, against the Zags. But if the Gonzaga can follow these five keys, they should be able to leave the Bay with a victory. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action. College football is finishing up their bowl season. And of course, the NFL is getting into the playoff season. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, as we have done throughout this season, we are taking a look at five keys to victory for the Gonzaga Bulldogs in their upcoming game against San Francisco. Again, in some games, they're more like keys to victory. In some games, they're more just things that I will be watching for because I expect this game to be relatively competitive because I think USF is going to come out with a strong game plan. You know, we, we've talked about the, the coaching change. Todd Golden, fantastic analytical mind, very, very good at exploiting opposing teams' weaknesses. But Chris Gerlison's a very fantastic coach as well, and I think this team is going to come out and really try to take it to Gonzaga. So here are the things that I think Gonzaga really needs to focus on in order to make sure that they don't drop to one and one in conference play. Number one, it's been a key so many times this year, but it remains vital for Gonzaga's success. That's getting out in transition. USF likes to run. They're 64th uh, in tempo, according to Ken Palm. Gonzaga right in that range as well. I think they're in the 50s or 40s uh, as of this conversation. So both teams like to get out and go. And we've seen many teams in the past have attempted to try to outrun or run with Gonzaga. It's not a good strategy. 
it hasn't worked very well for for almost anybody. Uh, there are very few teams that I think could probably do it. Tommy Lloyd's got one of them at the University of Arizona that we saw Pepperdine attempt to outrun Gonzaga, uh, and it just did not work. For USF, for a team that doesn't have a ton of depth, I think you try to get them out. You try to run and you run and you run, and you force them to get back in transition. You force them to give up the any opportunities to get offensive rebounds, force them to, as soon as they take a shot, they're going to take 33s in this game. They're going to take 30-plus three-pointers in this game. Do not give them opportunities to get offensive rebounds. The best way to do that, if you get a defensive rebound, go, go, go. Get out in transition, force them to all get back, and then that way you can clean up the defensive glass. Huge key to victory. If the Zags are absolutely dominating on the defensive glass, not letting USF get any second-chance opportunities, and also potentially wearing out their starters by consistently running up and down the floor, that's going to put USF in a really bad spot, particularly getting into the second half when they have some more fatigue issues. Beyond that, another key that has been a key for Gonzaga all season long, and particularly early in the year when they were really struggling with this issue, turning the ball over. Got to take care of the basketball here. USF doesn't force a ton of turnovers, about 13 per game. That's not bad. That's not great. But I think the big thing about USF is they're not an efficient offense. So don't give them any opportunities to score efficient shots. Every shot or as many shots as you can make should be very, very difficult for the Dons in this one. If you're turning the ball over 37, 40 feet away from the rim, if you're dribbling the ball off your foot or making a bad pass uh, at the top of the key or committing an offensive foul, things like that, you're giving USF easier opportunities to score, particularly if you're letting them get steals. Again, Shabazz averages over two steals per game. He's probably going to get a handful of them. And the the best way for Gonzaga here is to just eliminate as many easy points for USF as possible. Make it difficult for them to get shots. One way to do that, take care of the basketball. Nolan Hickman has improved tremendously in this area. He's still very inconsistent as a scorer. Uh, We saw that in his most recent game where he didn't make any shots, but he has gotten much better at taking care of the basketball, not committing careless turnovers. Most of Gonzaga's turnovers come from the big men, Anton Watson and Drew Timmy. And while that's certainly something you you don't necessarily want to see either, I think it's better if Drew Timmy's turning the basketball over right around the rim, it doesn't create as many run out opportunities. If Nolan Hickman turns the ball over at the top of the key, that's often an easy lay in for the opposing team. So if Gonzaga can eliminate those kinds of turnovers, those turnovers that lead to easy buckets, that's going to make life a lot harder for a a USF team that isn't particularly efficient uh, when they're in the half court offense. Beyond that, I think another big key for this game is to stretch the defense. And this is something that, you know, Drew Timmy and Anton Watson, they're not outside shooters. That is known. That is a a scouting point that teams are going to look at when they're looking at how do we beat Gonzaga? Well, we force Anton Watson or Drew Timmy to take threes. So they're not necessarily going to be the players who stretch the defense. This is why I think this is a big game for Ben Gregg. I think this is a big opportunity for Ben Gregg to have a really nice performance, or if Mark Few is willing to do this, which he hasn't shown a lot of willingness to do so far this year, you go with the small ball lineup. You put Julian Strother at the four, you have either Timmy or Watson or Reed or any of those guys playing the five. Strother at the four, three-guard lineup in there with some combination of Hickman or uh, Hunter Salas or Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton, whomever it is that you want to have out there. That way you can stretch the defense, go four wide with Drew Timmy in the middle. Look, the, the Dons have two seven foot one centers. They have Mark Ovetsky and Giga Those two guys, big, strong, physical dudes. 
neither of them are going to defend particularly well away from the rim. Neither of them really have that skill set in the bag. They're going to be forces down low, right around the rim. They're going to make life difficult for Drew Timmy. But if the Zags can pull them away from the rim, if they can force one of those two guys to play defense away from the basket, that creates more passing lanes, that creates more drive and dish lanes, uh, more opportunities for Gonzaga's guards to get to the rim and finish through contact uh, or finish without, uh, without a lot of rim protection there to challenge them. I think this is a big part of the game. I think there's an opportunity for Ben Gregg to potentially have a really, really nice performance here uh, if he's able to come in, play 18, 20 minutes per night, pull some of USF's defenders away from the rim, maybe create more room for Drew Timmy down low, maybe just create a situation where the rest of Gonzaga's players can more easily get around their guys, get to the basket without having to worry about the biggest, most physical players that they're basically going to face all season long in the WCC uh, and these two big guys here at San Francisco. And then two more keys here. Uh, next one, just be willing to turn to the depth early. I, I think we mentioned that this game might be a track meet. And we kind of alluded to the fact that USF's depth is not all that good. And if Gonzaga can get into USF's bench and have some of those guys playing some big minutes because the starters are gassed or because they're in foul trouble or whatever it may be, uh, that creates a situation where Gonzaga has a pretty significant advantage. However, USF may attempt to do something similar and force Gonzaga into getting tired, run on them as much as possible, and try to kind of create a track meet here. Teams that do this rarely succeed. But I could see USF giving this a shot. And I think one way that Gonzaga can help curb that is by be, being willing to turn to their depth early. This means early minutes for Malachi Smith, early minutes for Hunter Salas. I think Hunter Salas is going to be a big part of this game for a lot of reasons. And we'll talk about them more with the final key uh, in particular. But I think lots of Salas, lots of Malachi, maybe even turn to Dom and Efton Reed. We talked about them a little bit on Monday's episode. And of course, the performance that both these guys had uh, in Gonzaga's game against Eastern Oregon. We talked about the caveat of that being an NAIA opponent, but there's also little doubt that both Dominic Harris and Efton Reed can contribute to this team if given the opportunity. They're not necessarily moving up on the depth chart. I think they're still ninth and 10th, and I think that's where they're going to reside, barring some kind of very surprising ch change of events in the next couple of months. But this might be a game where you get those guys some minutes. Maybe they play the last four in the first half to give an extended rest for the starters. I think you can get away with it in this game, and I think having more fresh legs out there, more guys willing to push the tempo, get moving, force USF to, to constantly get up down the floor tire those guys out that's going to make this game even easier for Gonzaga to pull away in the second half if they end up needing to do so and then finally the last key in this game pressure the heck out of USF's backcourt this might be the best backcourt that Gonzaga is going to face in the WCC this year Khalil Shabazz Tyrell Roberts are both very very good players they're both undersized both guys are about six feet tall, but they're good scorers, not the most efficient scorers, but they're volume shooters, uh, talented basketball players. Uh, and I think Gonzaga is going to need to put a lot of pressure on these guys. If they let these guys walk into open looks uh, or play more passively on the defensive end of the floor, don't switch on screens or don't hedge as aggressively on screens and let those guys get to the spots that they want to get to, it could end up being a pretty disastrous night for the Zags. This is, again, kind of alluded to this on the last uh, the last key there. Hunter Salas is a big part of the game plan here. He is the most tenacious on-ball defender that Gonzaga has had in a very, very long time, maybe ever. He is very good on that end of the floor. He keeps guys in front of him. He gets his hand in their face. He doesn't let them get around him. He fights through screens extremely well. All of this stuff is going to be critical for Gonzaga to beat USF. I, I would love a game plan where Hunter Salas 
Every minute that he is on the floor, he is just right in Khalil Shabazz's grill. And if Shabazz is on the bench, he's right in Tyrell Roberts' grill. He is forcing those guys to take ugly shots. He's forcing those guys to get rid of the basketball. He is not letting those guys get easy looks. That is a huge key for me in this game. If Gonzaga can put a lot of pressure on USF's ball handlers, either by making them get rid of the basketball early in the shot clock or by forcing them into ugly possessions, it's going to make a victory much, much easier to come by for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Now we're going to close out the show looking at the latest bracketology reports on both the men's side and the women's side, where they're expecting the Zags to end up in the NCAA tournament right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're talking bracketology for the first time. I don't like to look at bracketology reports until at least the new year. But hey, guess what? It's the new year. It's 2023. Happy New Year to everybody out there giving the Locked On Zags a listen. And now it's it's time. It's time to look at the bracketology report. It's still going to change a whole bunch between now and early March. We know that. That's the fun of college basketball is that it's changing up to the very last minute uh, before they officially release the bracket on Selection Sunday. Uh, but it's fun to kind of take a look at where the Zags are right now and really, quite honestly, where a lot of Gonzaga's opponents are landing. So Joe Lenardi, of course, is updating his bracket on a seemingly hour-by-hour basis. This is the most updated report that I have as I'm recording this on January 3rd at about 5 p.m. So it's probably changed even by the time you're listening to this show. But the latest report from Lenardi has the Zags as a number three seed in the West region, playing their first opening game in Denver, Colorado, against the Gauchos of University of Santa Barbara. 14 seed out of the Big West, of course. I think this is a great seed. I think this is a really nice spot for the Zags to potentially land. I know we're used to the Zags being a number one seed, but there was a time 5, 10, or maybe not 5, but 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago, where being a three seed in Denver, that is an incredible result for the Bulldogs. Of course, this season started with the Zags, the number two ranked team in the entire country, coming off of multiple consecutive seasons as a number one seed. So maybe maybe number three seed feels a little bit disappointing, but considering how rough of a start Gonzaga had and how ridiculous of a non-conference schedule they played, I'd be pretty happy to take a number three seed. Now, there was an interesting wrinkle when looking at Lenardi's bracket. Uh, if you've ever looked at the bracketology report on ESPN, they label every team that is getting the automatic qualifier from their conference with an AQ, and they label any other team, or they don't label the other teams, which means that they're just getting an automatic, or they're getting a uh, at-large bid. In this particular bracket, there was two WCC teams in the NCAA tournament, St. Mary's, who received a number nine seed, but they were given the automatic qualifier tag while Gonzaga was not, indicating that Lenardi believes that St. Mary's is going to win the WCC championship and secure uh, the automatic bid out of the WCC. Quite honestly, that is absolutely possible. There has not been a single season that I can remember following Gonzaga where that was not possible. St. Mary's is always, always capable of beating the Zags. They have beat very, very good Gonzaga teams in the past. They have upset teams that it didn't seem like they had any chance of upsetting. They have gotten beaten badly in both regular season games and then gone on to win in the WCC tournament. Anything can happen in Las Vegas. Uh, I think that this St. Mary's team is very, very good and could absolutely secure the automatic qualifier out of the WCC. Uh, Regardless, if that happens, 
it's not a fun way to go into the NCAA tournament, but they still have Gonzaga as a three seed. They have St. Mary's as a nine seed, so they're not exactly expecting uh, St. Mary's to overtake Gonzaga all the way, uh, although I think those two teams are much closer together in terms of talent to be six seed lines away from each other, especially if St. Mary's beats Gonzaga. I don't know. If I was a St. Mary's fan and St. Mary's beat Gonzaga and got a nine seed when the Zags got a three seed, I probably wouldn't be too happy about that. But hey, it's still January. There's plenty of time for those things to potentially change. Uh, This bracket had Gonzaga playing, again, uh, UC Santa Barbara, the number 14 seed in the Big West. Assuming they win that game, they would play the winner of number six TCU versus number 11, and that game is scheduled to be a play-in game between Utah and Utah State. I would be pretty surprised if the committee pits Utah and Utah State against each other to qualify for the NCAA tournament, or at least in the in the play-in round. It'd be fun. I think it'd be fantastic if we got to see an in-state rivalry like that to, to determine which team is going to actually get into uh, the field of 64, but I would be fairly surprised if we ended up actually seeing that. Regardless, Gonzaga would have a tough matchup in the second round against TCU. Uh, Mike Miles is one of the best veteran point guards in the entire country. Uh, TCU really looked bad at the beginning of the season when Miles was hurt. He's healthy now. They've rebounded in a significant way. I think I would still take the Zags in that one because of Drew Timmy, because of TCU's lack of uh, extreme depth in the front court, but that would be a really, really tough second round matchup for the Zags. Uh, Rounding out the top five on that side of the bracket, number one, Tommy Lloyd and the Arizona Wildcats. Number two, the Houston Cougars, Kelvin Sampson's team, who I think is going to be the number one ranked team in the country next week, but who Lenardi doesn't believe is going to get a number one seed. Uh, Number four is the Miami Hurricanes. Number five is the Cyclones of Iowa State. Uh, not, a, not an easy bracket by any stretch of the imagination, but not a terrible seed for Gonzaga either. Want to kind of take a look at some of the other teams, really just to highlight how ridiculous Gonzaga's non-conference schedule was this year. We knew that it was. We knew going through it that it was. But just looking at who Gonzaga has played this year, they've played the number one seed, Purdue, number two seed, Alabama. Of course, they secured a victory in that game. Number three seeded Texas Longhorns, two number four seeds in the Baylor Bears and the Xavier Musketeers. And then number tw- number eight, Kentucky, I should mention them. Number 10, Michigan State, Tom Izzo squad. Of course, while Gonzaga started the season playing them on an aircraft carrier in San Diego. I mentioned St. Mary's as a number nine seed. They haven't played them yet, but they're going to play them at least twice, maybe even three times, depending how things shake out in the WCC tournament. And then, as I've mentioned multiple times on Twitter, and I've mentioned it here on the podcast, the Kent State Golden Flashes, who did get a number 12 seed in Joe Lunardi's bracket. They would be playing Wisconsin. I mentioned on Twitter before that I think I'm pretty likely to pick Kent State to be a 12-5 upset if they do end up getting a 12 seed. It, of course, depends on who they're playing. Wisconsin, no disrespect. I think I'd take Kent State in that one. I think there's a pretty good chance they would secure a victory there. But by and large, look at this. Gonzaga's played one, two, three, four, five teams that are four seeds or higher in the non-conference. That is a ridiculous gauntlet of games for the Zags. Uh, Some really nice victories in there. Of course, some frustrating losses as well. Uh, But this has been a really, really good test for the Bulldogs as they head into the thick of conference play. I want to close out the show talking about the Lady Zags as well. Uh, the latest bracketology report on the women's side has 
Gonzaga's women's program as a number six seed and the automatic qualifier out of the WCC. In fact, it has Gonzaga as the only team making the NCAA tournament out of the WCC. And that seems pretty darn likely in the past. There have been two or even three. I think I don't think there have ever been more than two uh, actually teams out of the WCC for the women's side. It's usually Gonzaga and BYU. Portland would have made it uh, a couple of years ago had COVID not ended the NCAA tournament early. Uh, but this is not a very deep WCC season this year. So for the women's team, they don't have very many opportunities to pick up any more marquee wins. Uh, they have them as a sixth seed. Again, uh, they would be playing in Los Angeles against the number 11 seed, either Oklahoma State or Michigan State uh, in this iteration of the bracket. Uh, number three seed UCLA would await them after that. And then if they were to upset the Bruins, they would face number two seeded LSU. Uh, there's a lot of games happening in Seattle in the NCAA or in the women's side of the NCAA. NCAA tournament uh, and this particular uh, bracket does not have Gonzaga playing in Seattle it has them playing in LA I sure hope the women's team finds a way to get into the Seattle side of the bracket they may want to keep them away from them for potentially not getting them to play an effective home game but I mean Gonzaga has played NCAA tournament games in the kennel before this wasn't even that long ago so I don't think that it's as as important on the women's side for them to not give team specific home field advantage but uh, yeah, it would be unfortunate. LA is not a bad place to be. Don't get me wrong, but it would be nice to see the women's team get a five or six seed, which is kind of the range that I think they're ultimately going to end up in. If they go undefeated in the WCC, maybe they can kind of sneak onto the four line, uh, maybe even the three line, kind of depending on how the rest of the the uh, women's basketball season kind of shakes out. But I think this is probably a five or a six seeded team. But the best case scenario might be for them to get a five seed in the, in Seattle and they get an opportunity to play in front of an effective home crowd or at least a much more home dominant crowd, depending on who they end up playing. Uh, I think this women's team is very, very good. They're deep. They're talented. The trunk wins have been outstanding all season long when they have been healthy. Brenda Maxwell is literally the best shooter in women's college basketball right now. She's shooting like 50 plus percent from three has been an absolute sharp shooter from beyond the arc. The Utah transfer having a fantastic season. Bonnie Ejim has been incredible down low, just like we knew that she would coming into the year, replacing Melody Kempton who graduated from last year's squad. Uh, this is a deep, talented, experienced veteran squad that Lisa Fortier is rolling with this year. And if they get themselves into any kind of home field advantage or home court advantage uh, in the NCAA tournament, I think we're talking about a sweet 16 team and maybe even more. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the Locked On College Basketball podcast. It is available wherever you get podcasts. It is also available on YouTube. We just hit 250 subscribers. Our goal is to be at 1,000 by the time we get to March Madness. So if you're listening to this, you haven't done so yet, go to YouTube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that subscribe button. Go find Locked On Zags while you're at it. A little two for there, hit and subscribe on both would be very, very much appreciated. Finally, I want to thank all of you who have come into 2023 making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.